everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of Southwest AgriTalk, a voice for agriculture. I'm your host, Lau Logeman. I would be remiss if I did not explain the origin of this podcast. This talk show is a source for the communication of ideas, intentional outreach, and honest perspectives. What better way than to begin this podcast with a subject that is near and dear to my heart, which is the future farmers of America, which is why the first guest that I have opted to interview on this brand new podcast is going to be Miss Annie Hodnett, who hails from the big old city of Las Cruces, New Mexico, and has been very involved in FFA and 4-H all throughout her life. So I am excited to welcome her here to this first episode. So Annie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lyle. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. It's about 96 degrees out there in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Yeah, I almost put on a sweatshirt this morning because it was cold in my house. And then I stepped outside and quickly changed into a t-shirt because I realized it was too darn hot. Right. I am ready for fall. What about you? Me too. I'm a huge lover of sweatshirts and pumpkin spice lattes. So this has been the thing that I've been looking forward to since <laughs> last year ended. I have actually never had a pumpkin spice latte. I'll bring you one. They're you, delicious. I think you'd like it. I don't know. Are they really that great? They're actually really, really good. I'm not just saying that because I love them a lot. I'm they're, They actually have really good flavor. They're actually really good. I drank a Bang Energy drink the other day. Did it make you taste colors? No. It, well, it was it was all right. It was just our, I mean, those are what I drank coming home from chapter visits when it yep. was like 12 in the morning. And those are the things that kept me alive. <laughs> that and your Skinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll do it. So Annie, there's a various amount of questions I have for you today regarding your life. And how old are you? I am 19. 19 years old. 19 years old. And you have all, you know, I've known you for all the time that I was an FFA. At, from this point forward, I've known you since then. And have seen you grow within 4-H and FFA. And you, there's never been a time that I've known you where you haven't held some kind of leadership position within these organizations. So with that being the case, let's start this out at the very beginning, year one. Tell us about your family and how you grew up. So I have two amazing parents that have always been involved with ag education. My mom was growing up, she did ag in the classroom for New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau. And my dad was the department head for New Mexico 4-H. And now getting to grow up within um, agriculture education, getting to grow up with Farm Bureau, I've been around agriculture my entire life. My mom's favorite thing to do on a Sunday afternoon was to take us to go horse riding. And she'd always stop at cotton fields and pick off the little like side pieces of them. And she'd tell us how cotton was grown and why it's important and why agriculture was important. And so now that my dad is working as a professor for the university and my mom is the director of communications for New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau, I've gotten to see the issues that agriculture is facing. And I've gotten to see how we as educators can address these issues and inspire the future of the students getting to inspire the future of our American heroes and also getting to see how we can communicate that story of agriculture to our future, to our future leaders. And it's been really cool to grow up with that. I also have some older siblings and a little brother and he's actually super involved with FFA and he absolutely loves it. And my older brother was a state officer and my older sister was super involved with FFA when she wasn't doing basketball. So it was really cool to have those footsteps to follow in and, getting to watch my little brother get as involved as I was in it. It's amazing. And I honestly can't remember a time also where I didn't know your mom or your dad. They're, they're known by many people. Mm -hmm. You know, my favorite thing to do was to go to Walmart with my dad. And I 
I tell you not, I cannot go to Walmart with him anymore because he knows at least five people there. And so <laughs> the five minute Walmart trip ends up being an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, you got to do that. How's your wife? How's your family? How's your kids? How's the job? How's the, how's the dog? You know, you've got to go through the whole list. And at the end of the day, getting to see my dad interact with so many people is always so cool because he never does it grudgingly he's mm -hmm. always got a little pep in his step and a smile on <laughs> yeah, his he face does. and it's those are the kind of people that just made me realize that people are so special and getting to serve agriculture is just it's also something really special and getting to combine those together and watch my dad do it has always been the thing that's wanted to make me do it as yeah, well. yeah he's a gregarious person definitely <laughs> but it's not it, it's not really a true walmart run if you don't run into like five people exactly exactly and we always go in the weirdest places it's always in the bacon aisle that he ends up <laughs> finding people that look at that beef there <laughs> yes or one of my old teammates um my dad was his dad's um 4-h leader oh yeah and so i went and stayed over at trevor adam's house and he's like oh are you Dr. Hogmuth's daughter? I was like, yeah. He said, that was my old 4-H leader. And I'm thinking, dad, how old are you? Yeah. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> been doing it a long time. Apparently, but he doesn't look it. He's he's in his prime he's silver fit. fox age. He's yeah, fit he's man. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you told us about your family. So let's tell, let's talk about your upbringing. You know, you were active, you were exceptionally active in 4-H before you were an act, you were as active in FFA as you are now. So tell us about your 4-H experience. What was that like? And what exactly did you do? In 4-H, I grew up around it. My Actually, my brother's first stuffed animal was a 4-H bear. And he still has it. He loves that thing. Well, you still love that thing. Great, he doesn't sleep with it anymore, I don't think. And so my first ever really interaction with these 4-H members was my first state 4-H conference. I was three. And my dad would bring over the state officers to the house and they'd come have dinner with us. Um, but I got to be a clover bud at five years old, and I thought that was the greatest thing ever. I got to go to these 4-H meetings, and all of these older members would sit and talk to me, and they would tell me that they liked my yellow shirts because I had a ton of them. And um, with that, I got to do clover buds for four years until it was my time to get to show dairy heifers. And I showed two dairy heifers at nine years old. Um, my dad even came up with a song for it. Maybe he would even sing it for you at some point if you asked him politely. Um, but I got to show dairy heifers uh, a couple years later, I started showing steers and then it went into my FFA SAE project, which is I started showing beef heifers and did a cattle breeding company with that. Um, but showing dairy heifer and showing cattle was always a thing that really made me start to have an interest with agriculture. And so did 4-H, you know, going to the youth getaways, going to the state conferences, getting to meet so many different members. Um, and getting to see their passions and why they were passionate about agriculture was something that always kept me going and always got me really excited to start serving in those 4-H positions and start advocating for our 4-H members. Um, I think one of the coolest things I got to do was, got, was um, as a state officer, I got to go and sit down with um, Susanna Martinez, who was our governor a couple of years back, and she had a meeting with us state officers, and we were able to talk about the agricultural issues that we were facing and what she was going to do to fix those. And with those experiences in 4-H, it has just been such an amazing opportunity because these are the kids you grew up with, you know, mm -hmm. going to these youth getaways, going to home ec schools, and then getting to see them at state conferences when you're all grown up and you're getting to go off and do amazing things. That was always a really cool experience to get to be there from the beginning and get to see it at the end. Mm -hmm. So what's it like? And personally, I I was in 4-H for a short time and 
you know, so I, a lot of those experiences that you have had, I can't personally say that, that I've seen, but what's it like when you grow up with a good number of people who are in 4-H and are showing and, and doing art, who are a part of these activities and these events and things like that? What's it like when you finally get into high school and you're in FFA together? Oh, it's so crazy because now you have this newfound dirt on all of them. You remember all of the crazy things that they were doing at Youth Getaway that I will not blame any for, anyone for right now because I have dirt on so many people. Um, but, you know, you got to see all of them. Like, people have pictures of me in a Yoshi t-shirt when I was 10. And we, you know, have this different connection because we were making pies together at home ex school. We were eating crickets together at YGA because it was a part of a workshop. I didn't just randomly do it. Um, but you got to see all of these. And it's just FFA was also just another opportunity to go and advocate for agriculture and learn more about it. So the more we were involved as kids and whenever we got to go to high school and do FFA there and got to do it maybe at the middle school level or do it at the high school level, it was just a new way to learn more about agriculture. And it was a cool opportunity to get to see them go from these 4-H experience and getting to show when they were nine to getting to go to FFA and give the creed when they were freshmen. Right. So with that being the case, you know, when you become a part of FFA, what was some of your favorite um, career development events, leadership development events, things like that? My favorite career development event was floriculture. Because, you know, as the prime age of eight, my dad was taking me to the FFA career development events and making me uh, judge livestock. I'm not good at judging livestock. Not at all. <laughs> I would stand out there in the cold and I didn't think it was fun at all. And then I would have to go and give reasons to my dad, which yeah. was even scarier. Um, but then I got to go into floriculture and I got to develop this just deep love for plants and wanting to... Um, learn more about them. And now I'm at New Mexico State University getting a minor in horticulture. So at some point in the future, I can have a greenhouse with my future FFA students. Um, but with floriculture, I was able to learn all about the floral industry and getting to arrange plant of uh, not plants, arrange flowers, getting to make corsages, learning how to sell those and getting to learn the ins and out of that. Um, but my favorite LDE had to be probably um, public speaking, um, the prepared public speaking contest. I'm not as great with extemporaneous speaking. I'm not great with just standing mm -hmm. up and researching something in 20 minutes and saying how I believe in it. Um, but when I take the time to really get to sit and work down and talk about why I researched this topic and why I firmly believe in this topic that I've researched. And then the judges can ask me questions about that and I can confidently answer those questions. Those have always made me sound that it's always made me feel like all of that hard work I put in, whether I won or not, mm -hmm. it always made me feel like it, it worked out and that it paid off because I had this new, this new, information about a different industry. I think my favorite one was talking about agroterrorism. That was super cool to <laughs> learn about. Um, not that it happens. Agroterrorism happening is not cool, but getting to learn about that mm -hmm. and getting to see how that really affects America if that if a huge spread was to happen, I think that was something really cool. And it gave me a newfound appreciation to the farmers that wake up every day and the ranchers that stay until all the cows are fed, making sure that their stuff is okay that America's fed on and getting to see that product of their toil and getting to see how it all goes into fruition and getting to getting to see it help Americans and help people out. Exactly. So 
they say the number one fear in America. I don't know that, you know, 75% of statistics are made up like this one's made up, but they say the number one fear in America today is not dying, but public speaking. And you're a pretty outgoing person from since I've known you pretty bubbly and always willing to talk to people. But can you ever remember a time in your life where you were afraid to get up in front of a crowd? I've never been so afraid to get up in front of a crowd that I won't do it. Um, but I remember being shy to go talk to someone and his name was Clay Bob Stearns because <laughs> as an 11 year old girl, I thought this boy was so cute. And I made the mistake of telling his mom that I thought he was cute. And we were at this youth getaway dance, you know, it's like the last night, it's glow in the dark night. And Mama Stearns overheard me talking about how I, cute I thought Clay Bob was. And she said, watch this. Oh, Clay Bob. And he ran inside and she was like, Annie wants to dance with you. And I'm standing there, you know, shaking. I don't want to dance with this dude. Like I, I was talking with my friends. Like I was trying to hide behind him and he pulled me out and he made me go dance with him for at least two songs. And it just made me realize that, you know, like I'm not a shy person, but even the people that intimidate me are always willing to go out of their way to make everything feel okay. And even though it was just a simple dance with Clay Bob Stearns in the middle of all of the sweaty little freshman boys. <laughs> um, that was always just a really cool experience to just step outside of my comfort zone and do something that I wasn't, I wouldn't have normally done. Right. So Clay Bob, if you're listening to this, which you probably will, if you didn't know that this secret, it's out, it's out in the open now. Yeah. We got it on record. Darn it, Clay Bob. I'm glad we're friends now. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, it's interesting. It takes things like that, like, like an action taken by Clay Bob to bring somebody out of their shell. You know, sometimes you just got to pull people physically out of their shell to help them learn. And so that's pretty interesting. So we, we've talked about the 4-H experience and are, are you pretty confident that your experience in 4-H was going to prepare you for what you're doing now? I wouldn't have said yes at the time, but now getting to stand back and reflect on what I did with 4-H it definitely helped me with what I did through FFA and getting to meet members that way. And I wouldn't have never guessed that my forage experiences would have helped me through FFA, but mm. they really did. I see. Well, so we haven't even reached the cherry on top really about this. So we need to talk about your state officer experience. Now, well, let's go ahead and put this out in the open, you know, is that y'all were state officers during the COVID year. And so we had to do things that we had never done before with virtual conferences, virtual workshops, virtual conventions. But you, in fact, and some of your teammates even got to make some physical chapter visits. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And we actually got to end up going to two different state. Um, what are they called? State con uh, mm -hmm. conventions. Sorry, that total 4-H gear switching right. to FFA. We went to two state conventions this year. We got to go to the Iowa FFA Leadership Conference, which is what they call it, their state convention. Mm -hmm. And then we went to the Indiana FFA State Convention. So, uh, you know, I remember when I was a visiting state officer, and that's some of the most fun that I ever had. We went to Utah, Delaware, Illinois, and you get to see a variety of different different perspectives in the way, and the way in which state officers, um, in the way in which they interact with a variety of members. Like you went to Illinois, there's thousands. It, it feels like thousands to me at their convention. You go to Utah and the whole standard is packed with members. And then you go to Delaware, Delaware. When, when I went to Delaware, that was had to be, had to have been one of the most fun conventions I ever went to. 
Um, state officers there were just so humble. State staff was just great. It was just something you did, I just never forget. That. And I'm still friends with a lot of those people who I'd met, you know, on kind of those adventures. So tell us, what was it like to visit these other states and interact with these kind of people? Um, the Iowa FFA state conference was so cool. You know, we got to go and I got to give two workshops, one for the middle school members and then one for the high school. Mm -hmm. And it was really different because they had challenged us to try to give a workshop with someone that we'd never met. So I remember reaching out to a state officer in Idaho. Her name is Bailey. And we ended up giving a workshop that we, neither of us have never given before up there in Iowa. And then last minute I took on a challenge to give a middle school workshop with two other state officers and getting to be with those FFA members and getting to see the excitement in their face and why they were excited to be there. That was honestly such a humbling moment, getting to see members just be so passionate about why they're serving and why they're wanting to be there. And just getting to see the excitement on their face mm -hmm. was just, it was just so cool to get to see that. And then whenever we went to the Indiana State Con Convention, um, a lot of the people that went to the Iowa one um, were invited back to go to Indiana. And we rented an Airbnb on Tacoma Street in <laughs> Indianapolis, Indiana. And let me tell you, that is one of the scariest roads in Indiana. We looked it up. It is actually the 19th scariest street. Wow. And yeah, um, but they packed 16 of us into this tiny Airbnb and we may have wrecked a car, but that's not important. Getting to see those FFA members and getting to be around those state officers um, and getting to see how excited they were to be there and how excited we were to talk to members because a lot of us had a virtual year and these Indiana FFA members were just so excited and ready to just come and talk to us and come and hang out with us and ask us why we were doing this and why they why we were passionate about it and we were just there and excited to just talk to members and get to have those interactions um and getting to see those indiana officers stand on stage and give their retiring addresses was one of the coolest things i'd ever done they do it super different than what we do here in new mexico but their messages were super inspiring. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I still hold near and dear to my heart every single day. It's something that I got to go and watch their retiring addresses. And I got to relate myself in a little piece of each of their speeches. And it was just so cool. Did you find it pretty interesting, you know, the variety of students that you interacted with? I mean, when, when we went to state convention, when, when we went to these state conventions, you go and you meet all these FFA members and it doesn't, they don't care like where you're from or what you're doing. They're just excited that there's people that, you know, that, that there's people that are come to speak to them or things like that. And yeah, I'll just never forget some of those experiences with a lot of those FFA members and places like that. So, um, you all had a virtual FFA convention, which I was at. And, and to tell you the truth, I was very impressed with it. And the variety of people, former state officers, former national FFA officers, you have these people there that are there to support each and every one of y'all through, um, this state convention and, and in that, I, that was very great for, I just love to see that because we, had, we were at a point where I had thought that only the state of the officers and only, you know, staff would be there at convention, but you had kind of a small crowd of people there in uh, the most, um, a crowd of people that, you know, you know, each and every one of them personally. So let, let what kind of experience really was it to, what did you learn from being a virtual state officer in the way in which you did? One of the biggest takeaways that I learned from being a virtual state officer that I hope that I can take into us, you know, getting to come back out of our COVID shutdowns and mm -hmm. getting to move on to the future is that in the midst of everything and in the midst of these Zoom calls, we got to meet members right where they were at. 
um, something in New Mexico that is always kind of hard is how hosting these huge conventions and leadership conferences because sometimes our members can't afford to go to them. Mm -hmm. So by giving them these conventions and these conferences virtually, all you had to do was hop on a Zoom call. And, you know, the members that did come to those conferences and those Zoom calls were just so excited to be there. And, you know, even from their bedroom, even if they were just wearing half OD, you know, like the the jackets and then some (laughs) Snoopy Christmas pants, I didn't do that. Um, you know, getting to see those members just excited to be there and willing to support the state officer team whenever they could was just amazing. And, um, you know, we got to host all of these um, virtual let's chats. So we got to get a group of students together from around from around New Mexico. And then at our last one, um, each state officer invited um, a visiting state officer. And then Sydney, one of my other teammates, got to invite Miriam Hoffman, which yes. is the national officer. We love her too. Miriam yeah. is awesome. Miriam, if you listen to this and he lets you know <laughs> that we think you're awesome. We think you rock. <laughs> um, but they hopped on the Zoom call. So it was just, you know, our members that did show up got to meet all of these different mem- um, state officers from Missouri, from Utah, yep. from Illinois. And it was just having those moments was so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But taking that pivot to go to convention, getting to put on this virtual convention, um, when my team and I found out that it was for sure going to be virtual, um, our state office did everything that they could to make that the most perfect virtual convention that they could. We got to bring in two formal national officers to come film it. Levy and Tiffany are amazing. They are awesome too. If you're (laughs) listening to this, y'all are legends anyway. Uh, Yes, they are. And um, getting to watch all of these PSOs and the few members that got to come and watch these conventions, getting to see just their overflow of support and love for our state officer team, again, was just such another humbling moment. There was... In your state officer, you're no one ever prepares you or tells you for how many humbling experiences you oh, go through. Oh, and it's every day. Every something. single day. Yeah. And during our convention, and if you ask any of our teammates, um, they will tell you that that sixth session was that we filmed was the, was the best. Um, we got to have one of our past advisors come and watch us and watch our speeches. And just the overflow of love and support from these past state officers and members that were there. You couldn't help but cry on stage. Oh, yeah. And I definitely did. Um, a lot. <laughs> and you got to experience that. So I saw you cry. Yeah, I, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Not many people can say they've seen me cry, but Lyle Lohman can. I did. <laughs> um, but just watching, watching all of that support and all of that love just come out for that team and my team was just so amazing and i don't think that we could genuinely say thank you enough for how much that experience meant to all of us mm-hmm. so since you're here thank you for coming and thank you for being the voice of new mexico's ffa convention you know getting to announce us i think that was also <laughs> a really cool experience but it was it was just such a humbling moment just something that i will never forget mm-hmm. so you know as the COVID era i don't know what's going to happen if it passes, whatever. But there's a rumor that there's going to be a live National FFA convention. And I've not said this yet on this episode, but uh, other than you, you're you're a sophomore here at New Mexico State? Yes, sir. Yes, sophomore at New Mexico State University studying agriculture, education, and extension. So Annie has been working on something over the summer for to begin a process that is just simply extraordinary. And simply will put her in contact with a variety of different people and a variety of extraordinary people. And Annie is running to be a national FFA officer. She's 
the New Mexico National FFA Officer Candidate for 2021. Um, if elected, she'll serve on the 2021-2022 National FFA Officer Team. And we're extremely excited and proud that she is our candidate and will be running for this extraordinary process to serve New Mexico FFA. So with that being the case, Nanny, tell us about why why are you pursuing this and why do you want to be a national FFA officer? I think the biggest reason of why I want to be a national FFA officer is because I believe in the hands-on hands-on learning opportunities that FFA provides for students. And I think the biggest way that we get to provide these opportunities for students is through supervised agricultural experiences. Mm -hmm. Coming from New Mexico, that's not something that we really emphasize. You know, FFA members have um, beef cattle projects or they show um, goats and they raise them. And that's usually what we turn in at the end of the day for our supervised agricultural experience. But getting to go to these different conventions and getting to meet these different members, I've just grown a great curiosity for these supervised agricultural experiences. And I think that it's so cool that in FFA, we can find our future career passions through something as easy as maybe recycling. I know that there was someone around this area that recycled for their SAE project or someone I talked to the other day from Ohio that sells Christmas trees for an SAE project. Mm -hmm. And I just think that it's so cool that we get to have another opportunity to learn and advocate for agriculture through FFA and getting to learn about all of these agricultural industries and getting to learn more about the agricultural way of life through those. And I think that through SAEs, members get to put themselves out there and they get to really stand up and say why they believe in agriculture and why they believe in the future of America and why they believe in themselves. And I think that that is something that as a high school student, as a middle school student, we all need is that affirmation that we are doing great and that we have a future and that we do in fact have passions that we can follow in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that SAEs are just something that is so extraordinary and so cool that it's just something that I want to advocate for on a larger level. And that's why I'm ready to be a national FFA officer. And that's interesting because, uh, you know, to be quite frank, that's not an answer you hear very often. You know, so why do you want to be a national officer? Well, I want to help promote SAEs. You just don't hear that that much often. And that's what was extraordinary to me to hear an answer like that, that you want to promote SAEs, something that typically that we don't hear an extreme amount a lot. And in New Mexico, if they were a competitive contest state, we focus on contents, career development events, leadership development events. There's nothing wrong with it, but we are a competitive state. And when we get in something, we're, we're in it to win it, you know, take home the gold, whatever. So now we know why you're running. So let's talk about the process. And, and for anybody who's ever been in it knows that it's intense. And it is not easy. I mean, it, it can sometimes mess with your mind. It's some things that get you second guessing. It, it'll make you sure of yourself in one way and unsure of yourself in other ways. And that's what we call growth. Um, but tell us about the process. What does it look like? And just how intense really can it get? Um, I haven't even started the process and I'm, I'm already feeling the intensity. We go through two personal rounds. There's a facilitation round. There's rounds that we can learn to talk to stakeholders. And I think that the hardest round, honestly, that you'd have to go through would have to be the ones where they just ask you questions about yourself. Mm -hmm. Because those are the moments when you have to affirm in yourself that you are a genuine person and that you deserve to be there. 
And I think that that's something that any candidate running for national office could tell you that at some point in their journey of running and in their journey of going through this process, that they have felt unsure of themselves. Heck, I went to bed last night and I was like, am I really right for this? And it made me sit down and open up my Bible to find those affirmations in myself that I am in fact worthy and I am ready for this process. And if this is the plan that God has for me, then by gosh, he'll make a way. And I think that that's always just something super cool. So gearing up for this process, I'm having to learn a lot about myself and a lot about the agricultural industry and about FFA, which I think is amazing. It's just another opportunity to learn about an industry that I love so much and about a youth organization that I hold near and dear to my heart. And, you know, we go through these processes and we have to learn how to talk to these stakeholders. So I'm talking to a lot of different people that, know a lot about the agricultural industry, such as Secretary of Agriculture, Jeff Witte, mm -hmm. and honestly talking to a lot of the professors here at New Mexico State because they've had the experience of working in the agricultural industry and they know about agricultural education. And that ties right into learning about this process. And they know exactly how to reach members and how we can put this story of agriculture out to members. Because as well as having a genuine heart and having a character and being able to work on a team, you also have to have those areas of knowledge where you can say, I know how to educate and I know how to give this information to students. And I also know how to relate to students, but I also know how to tell the story of agriculture to people that don't really know it. Um, so this process is just a whole learning curve and just getting to know more about yourself, more about the agriculture industry and gives you a lot of time to reflect on really who you are and why you're wanting to do this. Mm -hmm. So tell me, you know, we get a basis from even our former national FFA officers when we look at them. So talk about some of those personalities. Who are some of the people, former national FFA officers or state FFA officers who inspired you um, on this journey? My one of my biggest inspirations has to be Dr. Shannon Norris, mm -hmm. you know, getting and she's been so helpful during this process as well, because she is one of those people in life, you know, that I am not afraid to order wings in front of, which takes a lot of courage for me because I don't eat, eat wings like a lady. And <laughs> we went for practice the other day and we decided to go to the game, which is a local restaurant here. And I was really craving wings. And she's just one of those people that you can just be your genuine self around and she'll love you and accept you for exactly who you are. And she's one of the ones that I've gotten to grow up around and see. And I got to meet her a little bit before she was a national officer. And she's just one of those people that I've never seen without a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. And she's just genuine in every conversation you have. And she takes every word you have and she just makes it feel like what you're going through is valid. And she just, always has a way to just make you feel like everything's going to be okay. And then honestly, the next big person that I look up to being a, that I wanted to be a state officer for was you. You just have this un, you just, you're just so authentic with everything you do. And you are so undeniably yourself. And even whenever you served as a state officer and I got to watch you go through nominating committee Everything you said, those members looked at and they listened to. And everything that you did, you well thought out beforehand. And getting to watch you on that stage and get, watching you give these retiring addresses, those were always the moments that I just felt humbled and inspired. Um, because are we going to start living the dream or are we going to start living the dream? <laughs> <Yeah>. I think <laughs> um, those are just 
some of the coolest things that I've ever seen. And then the next big person that I looked up to whenever, you know, wanting to run for these leadership positions in state office, especially was Case and Queener and Landon Knight. And I know that those two come in in a set, um, but Landon was one of the first state officers I really got to talk to. And he just would laugh at anything you said, even if it wasn't funny. <laughs> and Landon always, again, has a little pep in his step and a mm. smile in his heart. And Kaysen is just never afraid to be vulnerable and bring Christ's glory through everything she does and always is just willing to have those upfront and hard conversations with you. And she just, she's one of the true representations of what God's light looks like whenever you shine into other people. But I think honestly, one of the last people that I look up to, not one of the last people I look up to, but someone that I hold near and dear to my heart is Rebecca McCarty. Oh yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. Rebecca Rebecca has always been something special. Um, she, her and I have gotten super close, especially this last year in college together. And I've gotten to look up to her like a sister. You know, she's the one that I can go and lay on her nice rug and tell her everything that's kind of going wrong in my life. And she's like, well, what do we do to solve it? And I never leave her apartment without feeling like I have 10 of my problems solved. <laughs> yeah. And she, she just listens so well. And she is always able to bring it back and say, but how can we fix this? Or how can we make the life of someone else better? Something that she likes to say um, a lot and something that I very much look up to her for is that she likes to pursue people. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca has always pursued people with just such love and such grace. And I don't think that anyone that has ever met Rebecca McCarty can say that they've walked away from a conversation feeling like they weren't loved differently mm -hmm. within that. And I think that's just one of the coolest things that I've gotten to witness. Um, so my great mentors in life, you know, Rebecca and Shannon and Landon and Kaysen and you, because I just think that that is just a great group to just get to stand up and look for. Exactly. Can you name one thing that Rebecca McCarty can't do? Mm, no. Yeah. You know what else she's really good at that she's not really like public about? <laughs> and she's really great at singing. Oh, she's a really good singer. She her her great her great. She's really good at singing Christmas music, mm -hmm. and I should know because we listened to it from October to December last right. year. So she's actually a really good singer. You should talk to her about it sometime. If you're listening, Rebecca, you've gotten a lot of compliments today. I just want to let you know that, even though you roast me every time I'm around you. <laughs> today you know, but it's none of my business i guess well, we have to hype them up whenever they're not around so we can roast them <laughs> yeah they're with us so they can they can listen to this and be surprised yes exactly <laughs> exactly so what do you want this year to look like let's say you're elected what do you want this year to look like as a national ffa officer i want to go advocate for yeah. ffa and for these members i understand that we don't get a lot of time with these members and for every interaction that I will get to have with mm -hmm. FFA members, I know that I'm just going to be inspired. Um, but we spend a lot of time talking to stakeholders and sponsors. And I think that that's something super important is that we have to have this message crafted for why do these FFA members deserve to be looked at? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of reasons why FFA members deserve to be looked at. They are learning to be independent. They're learning to be responsible. And they're overcoming huge obstacles and challenges that no one would ever think to have to come over mm -hmm. as a 15-year-old kid in an ad class. And I think that if, if elected, this inspiring story for FFA members and why we deserve to invest in these members is something that needs to be shared. 
Um, so of course I want to go meet members and of course I want to pour into them and make them feel special and loved, but I'm also just excited to get my feet on the ground and, and show the world why FFA deserves attention and why mm -hmm. we deserve to be looked at and why the future of FFA is in good hands and how we are creating America's next leaders. Mm -hmm. So with that being the case, you know, when you put on that jacket with, you know, this, the single emblem on the back, it's incredible. You know, and as you make this run, I can't help but feel that you are extremely qualified for this sort of thing that you are doing. But sometimes what we want, I know, is what we get. So let's talk about this. If by chance that you are not elected to be a national FFA officer, what's next for Annie? Well, I'm actually starting a podcast talking That's all right. about SAEs. Mm -hmm. So I want to continue doing that. And I want to continue to stay in school and learn about agriculture education so that I can continue to inspire the next generation of students, you know, just because I don't wear, um, just because I, if, if elected, if I, if I'm not elected, sorry, not elected, I don't get to wear that single emblem jacket. doesn't mean that it stops me or hinders me from the opportunity to get to serve members anyway. Um, so, you know, getting to stay involved with the New Mexico FFA association, association, and getting to <laughs> go, yeah. Yeah, apparently I can't talk today. Um, but getting to stay involved with New Mexico FFA and getting to get ready to go and serve these next FFA members, I think is still such an inspiring task. And that doesn't hinder me from wanting to go and share the word of agriculture or wanting to go and love on students, because that's what I'd get to do for a year if I was elected. And it's still something that I want to do if not elected. So just because that one thing wouldn't happen doesn't mean all of these great opportunities wouldn't open up afterwards. Well, uh, it is with great um we have a lot of ambition for you that that as you go through this process and as you make your run to be a national ffa officer um i want to thank you for being on this very first episode of southwest agritalk but at, before we leave i have one more question i got to ask you what does the southwest mean to you the southwest is home and it's home for a couple reasons um i was raised in las cruces so i am the southwest of new mexico um, green chili chicken enchiladas are my favorite food. I love them. <laughs> green chili chicken enchiladas, tacos. Oh, I could go to Andale's right now. No. That sounds really We I should. We should go to we right should. now. That's what we should. After this podcast is finished recording, <laughs> that's what we're going to go do. Exactly. Um, and then maybe I can beg my roommate to make me some green chili chicken enchiladas when I get home as well. Um, but there's just such a wide diversity of agriculture in the Southwest. You know, not, a, not every state, I mean, not a lot of states grow green chili. No. Um, we have a lot of pecans and we have a lot of cotton. And honestly, the mountains in Las Cruces, New Mexico, are just something that you, once you see them, you can't get enough. You know, like they change color every single hour. Not really, but that's what we say to get people to come here. Mm -hmm. And um, there's just beautiful sunsets. And it just reminds me that I'm home. And, you know, getting to see the place that I grew up and getting to see the way God works in the Southwest and getting to see the community that we've built here and the love that people have for agriculture down here in the Valley is just something that will always continue to inspire me. Wherever I go, um, the mountains are something that I'll probably call my home and I'll always be craving green chili chicken enchiladas. Exactly. I'm with an egg that. on top because that's the way yeah, God intended that's it. That's the way God intended it with an egg on top. Huevos Rancheros. <laughs> So uh, we want to thank Annie for being on our first episode today. And uh, that'll wrap it up for Southwest AgriTalk on this beautiful, what is today? 
Today is Friday. A beautiful Friday evening in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And we're right here at New Mexico State University in a back conference room doing this. So we want to thank everybody for listening uh, to this first episode. Tune in again sometime in the near future for our next episode of Southwest AgriTalk. And before we leave, I have one piece of news. New Mexico State University is starting a dairy judging team. Uh, it's being um, uh, a dairy team formation that's going to be coached by Dr. Franny Miller, which I'm on that team and don't know a lot about uh, dairy cattle. So we'll see what happens in the future with uh, this endeavor. And so join us again for Southwest AgriTalk. Everybody have a wonderful day.